and welcome to episode 54 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to punch your way out of a paper bag. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about sensory elements in games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Sidereal Confluence, Unfinished Case of Holmes, and Knock Mall. Then, we talk about board games that employ unique sensory experiences into their mechanisms. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word sense. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Before we head into the main part of the episode, we wanted to remind everyone that we, as a part of our two-year anniversary, released our top 100 games of all time. We actually released our last video in that series yesterday, and that was the one where Ambie and I talked together about our top 10, and we discussed Cassidy's top 10 as well. So that was really fun, and it's been two weeks now of releasing videos. (laughs) It was a lot. It was a big project. We've gotten some interesting feedback on our BGG Guild from people who have uh, decided to head over to pubmeeple.com and rank their own games, and so many people are like, wow, this is hard. I have a lot of respect for content creators who do this, and it makes me feel good because it was really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's fun. And it's oh, nice definitely. seeing people's lists, too, to see, like, where you overlap and stuff. Yeah, I hope it kind of gives people a better idea of who we are as gamers. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think the podcast helps you get to know that a little bit and helps it get to you get to know us as people. But the top 100 list is a nice little snapshot of mm-hmm. who we are. And I know that there are some, some, some surprises on at least my list, so <laughs> that's kind of oh, neat. So. When my first list was released, someone on Twitter was saying it would all be train games. And I'm like, you might be surprised at the variety there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there aren't that many train games on your list. They're they're spread out. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I hope everyone heads over to YouTube to check out those videos. And please, if you have any feedback about our top 100, um, especially for me, I'm new to video editing. And so I didn't do a lot of production with my videos. I would have liked to have shown, you know, gameplay footage or photos, uh, but I didn't have that. (laughs) Uh, on my own and I obviously wasn't going to steal other people's photos of games so it's just me on a couch talking the whole time Mm -hmm. and I hope in the future to do a little bit more with the production of such videos but feedback is welcomed Uh, you can email us or tweet at us any of the usual places a couple weeks ago I went to KublaCon and played a lot of games and one of them was Sidereal Confluence which is a game from 2017, designed by Tao Seti Dykman and published by WizKids. It's, it plays four to nine players in two to three hours. And it's the same amount of time even with more players because there's six rounds and the main phase is timed. So like it scales well for more players. But this is a economic engine building game with a lot of trading. So it's, it's a pretty heavy game but it plays a high number of player count, which is rare, I think, in games. So the, the way Sidereal Confluence works is there's different aliens with variable powers, and each person gets a different alien race that they are, and you have resource conversion cards. So you're converting some cube resources into other cube resources and trying to get more and more things. And the resources are worth a different amount of points, and you have like a cheat sheet that tells you that the 
how much the little cubes are worth versus how much the big cubes are worth and other things are worth. So you know how much you can trade things for and how much it's worth. And the main thing of the game is you don't have all the resources you need, but other people do. And so you're trading everything with them. You can trade the resources, you can trade the conversion cards you have, like your engine. You can't trade points, but you can trade pretty much anything else. And there, it's all like a real-time phase where you're just trading with everyone, just doing negotiation with everyone. And all the trades are binding, which I really like, because usually, or sometimes in games, if people say something, they can just say it, and then later they don't do what they said they're going to do. But in Sidereal Confluence, you have to do what you say you're going to do. So there's none of that backstabbing or going back on your word, because that really stresses me out, and I don't like that. So I had a lot of fun. Um, the main way you get points is either by converting resources to points or there's these research things that you do, which is you have to get a bunch of resources to research new technology and that gets shared with everyone and you get points for doing that. So it, it was a lot of fun. I really like building up engines and get, converting resources to other resources and having it keep going and going. But at a convention, it's it's a lot of talking because you're just trading and negotiating with people the whole time and at a convention you tend to lose your voice already so it's kind of hard to play at a convention when you're already losing your voice so I recommend not playing it at a convention or if you do find like a very quiet room to play it in it's also sidereal confluence is very group dependent because it needs people who are willing to make trades because the whole game relies on trades so some people don't like making trades in games uh, because they always don't think like it might not be worth it to them or something. So it's if, that whole thing where like a trade <laughs> tangibly benefits one person more than yeah. the other and people get afraid yeah. that they're going to be on the losing end of that deal. Yeah. So if everyone's afraid of that, then no trades are going to happen and then the game will fall flat. But if your group likes trading and everyone is able to trade and it helps that there's little player aids that tell you what things are worth how, how much they're worth in the game. They're, they're going to be worth more or less to you depending on what you need to get, but you know how much they're worth at a base rate, so you can use that to make your trades. So I really like that. Do the different aliens value different resources in different ways? Like, does that... Uh, so I, the... I don't know what all the different aliens do. Okay. <laughs> but, but they had different powers. Like, mine broke ties on bidding because there's... To get certain things, you can bid on stuff too. But... um. They they all start with different cards that convert resources differently. So mine had a bunch of green convert to better resources. So I wanted green cubes to start with, and other okay. people wanted other colored cubes. So okay, so that's nice. So at least it's because if everything has the exact same value to everyone, then oh, I imagine yeah. <laughs> it's easier for that trade system to break down. Mm -hmm. But the asymmetric nature of the alien yeah. sounds like it makes it a little easier. Like oh, I want green, you want blue. Here we go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And so it's because cool, like of, yeah. I didn't care about white cubes and other people wanted it and so I'm like okay I could trade you this if you give me some green or something. Okay, so, that was fun. How many players did you play it with? We played with five players, so it goes okay. up to nine. There's nine different aliens. Would you do yeah. you think it would work? Obviously, time wise, it scales well because of the timed nature of it. But do you think a nine player game would be pure mayhem, or do you think it would be really cool? Uh. For me, it might be mayhem because there's too many people to keep track of. But I think my friend really, really likes the game. And I think he would want to play it with nine. But definitely 
at your own home, like not in a loud place <laughs> because you need to be talking to everyone and probably at a more circular table so you can see everything going on. Because if you're at a rectangle table where someone's on the other end, you can't really see oh, what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's table so, space for nine players. It's yeah, tough. It takes a lot of table space. <laughs> it's, it actually would work. I've got a, a 10 seat poker table that I play games on at oh, my wow. house and I imagine it would work pretty well. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's like more, it's uh, cylindrical. It's not uh, round, but it's it's short enough that I feel like the people on either end could still talk to each other. So I don't know. I'm not even saying that I want to play Sidereal <laughs> Confer- Confluence. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, I guess if anybody in Vegas needs to play it, they can come use my table. I don't know. <laughs> Something okay. Like <laughs> One of my friends is going to take me up on that offer, probably. But that's cool. Yeah. Uh, in another game I played recently, uh, I got a review copy of Unfinished Case of Holmes, which is a 2017 game designed by Alexander Chris and published by ID Venture. It's an escape room type game with puzzles. So I got a review copy. I'm going to write a review on our website at some point, but I just wanted to talk a little about it here. It's a puzzle game and it has an app where you input answers. It says it's two to 12 players and there's a two hour timer. We played with five players, but I think it's probably best with one to two players because the puzzles were linear and it's on a piece on like pieces of paper and when we had five players we couldn't all see the puzzles at the same time so not all of us were actively engaged so we were a little disappointed in the experience and you'll be able to read more on the blog but um probably if you play with fewer players like one to two players uh it could be fun so that's unfinished case of homes okay i recently kind of got the itch as a result of the Spiel des Jahres nominees to order some games from overseas. So I made an order uh, on Amazon.de, and admittedly, my order actually hasn't arrived yet, although it should be coming in the next few days. But luckily, one of the games that I ordered, a friend of mine already had, and so I got to play it, and luckily I loved it because it's coming to me soon. And that is Knock Mall. Knock Mall is a roll and write game, which is designed by Inca and Marcus Brand, and it was released in 2016 by Schmidt Spiel. Uh, It is currently only available in Europe, which is why I ordered it from Amazon.de. I do not believe it has North American distribution, but it's pretty easy to order from Amazon.de and get things shipped over to the States. Uh, It takes a little while, but it's not that expensive. So uh, I try and talk about games that people can actually get. And this one's pretty easy (laughs) to get, even though it's not in North America. So in Knock Mall, all of the players have a sheet of paper that contains a grid, a 15 by 7 grid filled with colored boxes. Um, And the boxes are kind of grouped by color, but randomly. So like there's like a whole bunch of different groups of yellow boxes and red boxes and blue boxes all over this grid. Uh, Some of the boxes also contain stars. And then all of the columns, all 15 columns are designated with letters of the alphabet. On a player's turn, they roll these dice and there are different colors on some of the dice and numbers on others of the dice. And whatever is rolled, the active player gets to take uh, a color die and a number die and pull them out for their own personal use. And no one else is allowed to use those dice, but everyone else is allowed to use all the remaining dice to try and make a combination. So you pick a color and a number, and then you have to mark off that many boxes, but they all have to be grouped in the same area. And you can't mark off 
more or less than the number that was rolled. So for instance, if there's a, a group of three yellow boxes that you want to mark off, but there's not a yellow three, there's a yellow four, you can't do it. You have to be able to mark all of the boxes together at once. And the goal, you have to start from the middle column, which is the H column and go out. And then you can only mark boxes next to other boxes that you've already marked. So you have to kind of spread out from the middle. Your goal is to complete full columns or complete colors and the colors are spread out all over randomly across the whole thing so it's kind of hard to get to those the end game is triggered by colors getting completed by different players and i don't remember how many exactly but you score more for columns toward the outer edges of the grid rather than the inner and you're just trying to mark off as many things as possible i love this game so much and i i don't know what it is about roll and rate games i feel like i'm a suzanne sheldon in training because every <laughs> new roll and write i play i kind of just fall in love with it and they're so simple but I just, the, the, the strategy of these types of games scratches the right place in my brain, I guess. And since this one is designed by Inca and Marcus Brand, which if anyone watched my top 100 videos, they have a few games on my top 100. I, I'm going to go on BGG and start looking at the other games that the brands have designed that are available only in <laughs> Europe. And I might actually order some more because... I don't think I've played a single game of theirs that I didn't completely love. And I did see that some of their games on BGG are pretty low rated. Obviously, not every single game is going to be a winner, but I uh, I want to play more of theirs. And I think Knock Mall is a really good roll and write game. I don't remember what the player count is for it. I'm going to pull that up real quick. Yeah, it can accommodate one to six players. And I haven't played the, what the solo mode is, so I can't speak to the experience for solo. But I don't think the it would go any really differently with between even two and six players. So I really, I would highly recommend it if you like roll and write games. And yeah, it's easy to get from overseas, even here in North America. So that is Knock Mall, and that's spelled N-O-C-H-M-A-L. Yeah, there are a lot of roll and write games coming out recently. Or I've maybe just been noticing them recently. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like they've yeah. been a thing, maybe over in Europe a little bit mm -hmm. more, and they're kind of hitting a, a stride here in the States. Because yeah, Knock Mall mm -hmm. came out in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even two years ago, there were a couple of popular roll and write games here in the States, but they've there's been a lot more. And especially mm -hmm. with uh, Gans Schoen Clever getting a Kinderspiel yeah. nom nomination, um, I feel like there's more, like that's a big deal for a strategy game that's nominated for the Spiel to be, to be a roll and write, yeah. <laughs> which are normally considered to be fairly light games. Uh, I think that's really cool. And that mm -hmm. is part of my order that's coming soon as well. So hopefully Ooh, I'll be nice. able to give you all a, re a review of Gans Schoen Clever uh, <laughs> soon as well. For this week's thematic discussion, we wanted to talk about board games that involve sensory experiences that are outside the norm or are unique to other board games. And so when I say sensory, I obviously mean things involving the five senses, sound, sight, smell, touch, and taste. And we have found examples of all five, although admittedly a couple of those categories don't have a lot of options. <laughs> we do have some for all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe we should start with the ones that are a little bit lackluster in their listings. <laughs> Uh, which I would imagine most people will not be surprised to know are the smell and taste categories. <laughs> but we did find yes. some. Yeah. Smell, there's uh, The Perfumer, which is a recent game. Maybe it's not that recent, but I, I think it has like scratch and sniff type things 
in the game, right? I haven't yeah. played it yet. I- there's there's a few games that are smell-based, and they all seem to be centered around similar things. Like, they're mm-hmm. often scratch and sniff. Although one of the ones that I found when I was doing some research is called Spice Navigator. And I'm going to pull it back up on BGG because I was looking it up earlier. It came out in 1999, and yeah. somebody was saying that it actually has real spices like in 20 small containers that get thrown into a bag yeah and so you like have to pick containers open them sniff them and guess what they are from a list of common and uncommon spices and that's interesting i wonder like it feels like that wouldn't like be allowed it wouldn't last or yeah like it definitely wouldn't like if it's from 1999 (laughs) although i imagine if you knew what the spices were you could make new containers like that wouldn't be too hard to do yeah when i was looking it up i was kind of like oh that actually sounds kind of interesting it's not rated very well on bgg but that doesn't you know that Ooh, it says it's a 90 minute game that doesn't feel like a smelling (laughs) game should be that long but maybe there's a lot more to it that i don't know oh it's yeah that's not the main aspect of the gameplay it says that's like it's a commodity speculation game and it just happens to have spices that you smell (laughs) that's so weird but yeah, um, it seems like both smell and taste are ones that wouldn't last long because the smell would go away. And with taste, the ones we found are all edible games. Right. Because once you eat them, then you're done. I mean, I'm kind of glad that they're edible games because if they were games where you had to taste things and they oh weren't consumable, things would get gross really fast. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like there's um, chocolate editions of a lot of mass market games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Catan chocolate edition, Scrabble yeah. chocolate edition, and there's a Monopoly that's made out of chocolate, I guess, as well, which I hadn't heard of until I found it. Well. in this list and then we have to give a shout out to it's not really a game but we have to give a shout out to bean boozled only because ambi and i subjected ourselves to it uh during a live twitch stream uh last year i want to say i don't remember how long ago that was remember. now yeah so if anyone uh has only been following us for you know a shorter amount of time and you want to see ambi and i eat a bunch of really gross jelly beans and, and some goes, good ones Yeah, well, Ambie got a bunch of good ones, and I got not a lot of good ones, and the the effects of that were fun to watch, I think, for everybody involved, maybe. Uh, So yeah, go look on our YouTube channel and search for Bean Boozled, and you'll get to see us eating gross jelly beans, which, yeah, that's amusing. So smell and touch, or smell and taste are aside... We, the other three definitely seem to have more variety in mm-hmm. the types and numbers of games that are available. So for touch, I feel like you could kind of almost count most dexterity games um, as some kind of a touch-based game. But I, when I was making this list, I was focusing more on games where the physical feeling of pieces was integral to the gameplay itself um Mm -hmm. which ended up being mostly kids games so stuff like go away monster um captain silver and taxi wildlife where you're having to like often reach into a bag and feel pieces and try and find the right one by touch um and those are often like different shaped things like taxi wildlife you're feeling different animals and things like that that are made out of wood uh i did also find one that i had never heard of before called dr shark which is designed by antoine bauza and bruno cathala and i was like wait what how have i not heard of this game by these two awesome designers and it's 
these puzzle pieces that are in a bag and the backs of all of the puzzle pieces are different based on what color they are. So like one's smooth and one feels like lizard skin oh. and one is made of felt and one is like <sighs> sandpaper. And you it's a speed game where you have to reach into the bag and you only have 30 seconds. And based on where your piece is on the board determines what types of pieces you want to pull out. So you either want to pull out like all the same type of backs or all different, or you can grab a handful, but if you grab any of the shark pieces that are in there, then you lose that color or something. I don't know. I uh, I watched Tom Vassell's review of this from like six or seven years ago. And he said it's definitely a one-note game, but that he really enjoyed it. And I kind of want to play it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Like, <laughs> like yeah, a lot of these games that they're very different, but they don't get very popular. <laughs> I, well, maybe I think because... that is partially because of the the lack of replayability. Maybe mm-hmm. like they are kind of gimmicky, but that doesn't mean they're bad. I just like, especially if you could get one of these cheap. You know, it would be a fun yeah. thing to pull out for like a long game day once in a while or something like that. And also, it's designed mm-hmm. by two really good designers. So. Yeah. Uh, if anyone has a copy of Dr. Shark <laughs> and is near Vegas, let me know. I want to play it. I should look and see if there are copies available online. <laughs> and then for sight and sound, those are the ones that we have uh, more games that have stood the test of time, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think the the top, as far as quality games, fall into these two categories. Yeah. Although I guess for sight all games have sight, but we're talking more about the absence of sight in some of these. <laughs> yeah, or where like sight is used in a yeah. different way. You're not just looking at a board. <laughs> There's a board game that's coming out, I believe, this year that uh, a woman designed uh, because her uncle is blind and she wanted to, I, I might get some of the details wrong, but she wanted to create an experience for other people to kind of experience what it's like to not be able to see. And so she created a game called Nyctophobia, which uh, means fear of the dark. And it's a cooperative game, or I guess a one versus many game, where everyone uh, is wearing blindfolds and can't see the board at all and have to navigate by touch only. And the board has 3D elements on it. And then the player who can see is the one that's trying to hunt them down. Um, And there's a timer involved somehow, like, they have to survive until the police arrive to rescue them. But I think it sounds really neat. And mm-hmm. there are um, other games like When I Dream, where one player's sight is removed. But this is mm-hmm. unique in that most of the player's sight is removed. And I think that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that seems pretty interesting. I want to play it. <laughs> I know, I do too. I'm very curious to know. Oh, it says that Pandasaurus is going to be publishing it. You know, Pandasaurus is publishing some good stuff. I have to mm-hmm. say, they might be the next renegade for me i don't know because i like a lot of renegade stuff and i like pandasaurus and stuff so you can like both well yeah i'm not saying they're gonna replace (laughs) but like they're the new one that like if they publish a thing i think i might just be interested in it no matter what it is there are some other site-based games that um rely on technology like there's a couple of vr board games Mm -hmm. Uh, i know escape room the game has a vr edition at least over in europe where you can play uh, different VR or different escape room scenarios using VR. And I don't know how that goes because I haven't gotten to play them. But uh, there's like a submarine one, and I think there's something else as well. And then there's that Mask of Anubis uh, VR game where... One, like the player wearing the VR headset has to describe things and then the players who aren't wearing the VR have to draw the map um, that the person is seeing 
And I've heard good things about that and I really want to try it, but I haven't gotten my hands on that one. I should look and see if that's available online. I, yeah, I will admit really I'm kind of in a VR kick right now because I got <laughs> to try Beat Saber for the first time, which is not a board game, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lightsaber rhythm game that's available on VR and my friend has it and it's really fun. So I want to try all of the VR things now. <laughs> But uh, rhythm games, speaking of that, goes into sound, yes. which I think is our favorite sense because a few of these games made our top 100 lists. That's true. <laughs> and we had some crossover on some of these as well. <laughs> um, like I Mord Im Arosa showed up on both of our mm-hmm. top 100s. Or not mine. I've only played it once. Oh, not yours. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought it made your list. I know no, you Igloo like Pop it. made my list, though. Oh, and Igloo Pop didn't it. make mine, even though I really like it. So, um, yeah. Escape the Curse of the Temple uh, has a CD with a soundtrack. You can oh, play without yeah. the soundtrack, but I think I would never want to. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of games like Escape the Curse of the Temple yeah. where there's a soundtrack that is helping be the timer for the game. Mm-hmm. Like Space Alert does that. Uh, Meeple Circus yeah. kind of does that as well. Mm-hmm. There's other games that have audio cues as part of the game um like stop thief the new well the old game that got brought back by restoration games (laughs) so it used to use an electronic component and now uses an app and it gives you audio cues to help you figure out where the thief is on the map and then there's a lot of older games i think that use sound in pretty interesting ways like the classic game operation for instance uh you know you're trying to pull these little plastic pieces out of this guy and that like fear of setting off the buzzer is intense and i think it really kind of helps make that game a little more thematic than you would expect for like a mass market game but like you always i was always like terrified to set off the buzzer well i think the buzzer also like vibrates so it kind of shocks you which is i guess the sense of touch because it vibrates when you hit it and so that adds to the fear of it yeah there's definitely it's an intense experience yeah a lot of those older games have more um unique unique things using the senses i think yeah like uh, if you look back to like the 80s and 90s there's a lot of board Mm -hmm. games that use electronic components and it's funny Mm -hmm. because people today are like some people are like, I don't want apps in my board games and I don't want technology in my board games. But technology has been in board <laughs> games for a, like way before technology was even as pervasive as it is now. Yeah. Uh, one of the games that showed up on my top 100 list that is from 1992 is the Omega Virus. And that's a classic <laughs> squawk box game. The entire yeah. game is run by the electronic box in the middle. And I'm going to keep saying over and over again that I hope Restoration Games <laughs> brings it back. And I know that it's on the top of their want list, whether they're actually working on it yet or will ever get the licensing for it. I do not know. But I desperately want a new Omega Virus, even though I still love my original copy and <laughs> still play it. Uh, but I owned a bunch of those electronic games when I was a kid. Like I had Mall Madness mm-hmm. and Dream Phone. And those games were entirely dictated by the audio parts of their like electronic components so you couldn't play them without an audio cue yeah i had a bunch of them that were like more dexterity type but they still were electronic (laughs) so yeah yeah. so lots of lots of audio based games throughout history not just modern ones Mm -hmm. well we would love to hear what some of your favorite games are that involve a sensory element in a unique way so if there's any that we forgot uh 
tweet at us or post in our BGG guild on the thread for this episode, because I'm sure that we've missed some big ones. But this was an interesting list to put together. I There was more games that used all of the senses than I thought there would be. I was thinking that this might be kind of like, oh, a couple games here and there, but there's a lot of them. For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word sense in its noun form. The English word sense originated in the 14th century when it meant faculty of perception or meaning, import, or interpretation, particularly regarding Holy Scripture. The word can be traced back through the Old French sens, which meant one of the five senses, meaning, wit, or understanding. And that word stems directly from the Latin word sensus, meaning perception, feeling, undertaking, or meaning. The Proto-Indo-European root sent meant to go. The English word sense didn't refer to the five senses we spoke about earlier in the episode until the 1520s. The phrase sense of humor first appeared in the 16th century. So next time you play a game that utilizes your senses in a unique way, let your knowledge about the word sense help guide you to victory, or at least provide some fun trivia for the other players. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you enjoy strategic card games with interesting decisions, make sure to check out Multi-Universum, available now at your friendly local game store or at grayfoxgames.com. Gray Fox Games, quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, it's the eye of the blitzer, it's the smell and the taste. Hearing sounds as we're feeling the components. Bye, everyone! Bye! Claps are so unsatisfying. They're like. <laughs> Please put that in the bloopers. But that's not. But it's funny. My claps are so unsatisfying. Like you just sounded so sad. Like of all the things in the world to be sad about, like that's a great one. Yeah, there are a lot of roll and white roll. <laughs> That's hard to say. Oh, that's why somebody designed a game called Roland Wright, spelled like with like the name R O L L A N D W R I G H T. I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, Roland Wright. I was like, that's funny. <laughs> this episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you, do, if you, in- <laughs> I didn't get messed up over multi universum. Just enjoy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> End of episode bonus content. (laughs) All right. So last episode, we gave you all an alliterative clue. And this one was a tough one. We asked you to retheme a classic roll and move game for enormous city-destroying primates. And so what game was that, Ambi? It was Monster Monkey Monopoly. And that was a tough one, we know. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to give you one that's a little bit easier this week. We're going to ask you to re-theme 
a quilt making game for people in hospitals that love their country. Good luck, everybody.